Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod. We're recording this on a very misty morning, as I could hardly see across Greenwich Park. And a bit of ice on the roads, but we're here safely. um, And we are looking at a really amazing part of Mark's Gospel where Jesus tells us what's entailed in being a disciple. And it's not the most attractive advert for following a movement. And we were just um, joking. Preachers often talk about how terrible Jesus' advert is and they, they link it to an advert which Shackleton is said to have given. Shackleton, the Antarctic explorer. And the, famously, the illustration says, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, which we're in at the moment, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in event of success. And the idea is that um, Jesus' advert is the same sort. It's come and die, and um, you'd only do it if you were mad. Um, but apparently, Andrew is saying it's probable <laughs> that some preacher invented this advert well I don't know I mean if anyone listening to the podcast can find it it is a fantastic illustration but I just haven't been able to find any reference to it on the internet apart from in sermons so does it actually exist yeah allegedly and then you off you go yeah yeah but the point stands that Jesus says if anyone wants to come after me let him take up his cross sorry let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me and take up your cross really does mean death row, doesn't it, in the first century? So we use, it's sort of become diluted as a, as a saying. So we say, oh, we've got our cross to bear, and it means something like, it's your turn to take out the bins or something. But in the first century, if you saw someone carrying a cross, it was, they were on death row. So it would be like saying, if anyone wants to follow me, let him fasten himself into the electric chair and follow me. I mean, it's it's a very shocking image. And it's got, it's got an extra dimension, which is um, the equivalent of, for the English person of being put in the stocks. So it's the, the place of humiliation. So you, you take up your cross for the whole journey where people can pelt stuff at you. Um, you're giving up, you're not just giving up your life, you're giving up your reputation and you're becoming a humiliated outcast on the journey. And actually this whole section of Mark's Gospel from chapter 8 to 10 is devoted to unpacking what this is going to look like. So... Um, we're sandwiched between the healing of two blind men, so blind Bartimaeus in chapter, uh, sorry, an unnamed blind man in chapter eight, and then blind Bartimaeus in chapter ten, and in between those two healings, three times Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection, and immediately after predicting his own death and resurrection, he then says what it entails to follow him on the same path. So it's the sort of pattern repeated three times: what Jesus is going to do, what we must do. So Jesus just said. The Son of Man, it must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed, and after three days will rise. And now he's saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to go the same way. And one a bit earlier on in one of our grace pots, we we left a puzzle about a strange miracle. In fact, the only miracle where Jesus doesn't really do it thoroughly the first time round. And there's a kind of half healing where someone can see, but not very clearly. They can just see men like trees. And then there's a full healing. And we, we left that as a kind of puzzle. And this makes sense of it um, because, um, yes, Peter gets a little bit clearer. He knows that Jesus is the Son of Man and the Christ. 
Um, but we're going to see he's not as clear as he should be. And so the, the sight comes in two stages because he needs to see what kind of a Christ Jesus is. He's going to be a suffering Christ. So there's a paradox to that, isn't it? He, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And you think, how do you know what walking trees look like if you're blind? But I guess Mark's point is, you don't, you know, you don't really see very clearly at all. It's like if you've, the other day I lost my glasses, and it took me. I was staying with some friends in Birmingham, and I went to their bathroom, went to have a shower, and then I couldn't find my glasses. It took me about half an hour to find them, like literally, sort of combing my fingers along every surface and I could I think that was the trees walking kind of stage of sight every other part of your life you have electronic tabs on it's so that you can do. find your keys but you yeah. can't do it with your glasses <laughs> going to be hanging off it with this big clump so spiritually speaking Peter's sight is like I've got a prescription minus five and I haven't got my glasses with me so he sees something he gets that Jesus is the Messiah but he doesn't really get what kind of Messiah Jesus is um, hence last week get behind me Satan because he didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. And the same kind of confusion is going to extend into what it might mean to follow Jesus, because well, we'll find out for Peter and for us, actually, it's very difficult to get this right. Yeah. And the reason Jesus' um, advert does work is because of how he backs it up. So he says, come, come and die. And then he gives a whole load of arguments why this isn't as mad as you think. And it's all to do with an extra dimension that Jesus adds. So there's a now and a then. Mm. And doing a mad thing now does make sense if there's a reason then. And, and we know this in other areas of life. You, you go through the pain of the vaccination because of the the benefit later. Mm. Um, and Jesus says it's like that with the Christian life. If if you save your life, so if you then you'll lose it later. So there'll be a downwards it'll start well and end badly but Mm -hmm. whoever loses his life for my sake so you you start badly and the gospels will save it so it will be better in the end so this kind of now then paradigm is going to be quite strong it's very hard to do this on a podcast but i always really helped by drawing this as a diagram and it's basically like a cross-shaped diagram not like a a cross like jesus cross sort of a t-shape but a cross turned on its side like an x-shape and you have the basically the, the two fortunes of now swap over, they cross over in the future. So the person who saves his life now um, will um, lose his life in the future. The person who loses his life now will save his life in the future. So it's, it's a reversal of fortunes. Uh, it's a crossing over of paths. And I, I think of it as a cross because Jesus dies on the cross and calls other people to die on the cross. But actually it is this very path that he treads. He, he loses his life and then saves it, and it calls others to do the same. Whereas those who are ashamed of him want to save their life now, and will lose it. Um, and then he gives all sorts of, yeah, as you say, he he beefs that up in his uh, in his applications. What what about if you were to have the entire world now, and then forfeit your life? Like what what would be the point of that? Um, you know, you you win the lottery, you get the best job, you become president of the United States, you know, whatever you did in this world, but then on the day that Jesus returns, you lose everything compared with the martyr who dies confessing Jesus, and on the day Jesus returns, he's resurrected and welcomed into heavenly dwellings. Hmm. And Jesus says, the one um, who is ashamed of him in his words, um, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus has just referenced himself as the son of man. He must suffer in verse 31. Mm. 
And here's the reminder that that same Son of Man is the one who will come in total glory. And it's that dimension that makes sense of Christian discipleship. We have a Son of Man who's gone this path and ends, will end the story in ma- maximum glory. Now it's interesting this because it seems to me that what you choose to do then with your life depends entirely on your time scale. So if you think that your life is only you know the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years and then you die and that's it, then obviously it would be crazy to be a Christian because why would you deny yourself? You need to have every experience you could have now. Yele. Yele, yeah. Um, what's that? Again, you only live once. Exactly. Yeah. So you, it's, it's basically the hedonist charter. Be, be mean to everyone, grab um, grab all you can right now, be a nuisance because you're just going to end and you'll leave, the, so, leave it for someone else to clear up. <laughs> so instead of Yele, it should be Yolt. You only live twice. Exactly. Sounds a bit like a James Bond film title, but um, theologically more helpful. So, yeah, but if you, basically, if you don't think that Jesus is coming back, you don't think there's a new creation, you would not do this. And if you do think Jesus is coming back and you do think there's a new creation, it makes total sense to do this. And that's, I guess, partly why Jesus' resurrection is so, so key, because this is the path that Jesus has gone ahead of us. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be killed, and after three days will rise. And the fact that Jesus did rise tells us very clearly that death is not the end of the story. And therefore his offer, if you lose your life, you will save it, is not empty. I guess that's why the, the early Christians were, were martyred, so many of them, because you know to kill somebody, to, to offer to die when you know for sure that you're going to be resurrected, is not really, you're not really risking anything. And I, I think that absolute confidence in the resurrection does explain why uh, you know, early generations of Christians really were willing to literally take up their cross and follow him. And, and Jesus gives a clue as to one of the ways it's going to be difficult and painful now when he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Mm. And we know in our culture that it's fine to say you're loyal to, you know, I believe in God or, you know, I'm a Christian but if you actually are loyal to Jesus' words, where they are at odds with the culture, that's when the pain begins. Hmm. So it's basically a very simple idea this week, or this part of Mark is, follow Jesus, he died and rose again, and rose again. If you follow him, you also must die and then rise again. And die could mean all sorts of things. It could mean literally be killed for your faith, which for some people in the world, that is really a, um, a risk and a reality today. But it could mean other things, like die to self could mean, and we'll see as we go on in the next chapters, it could mean be a servant, so die to putting yourself first. Uh, it could mean fighting sin, die to self-indulgence. Um, it could mean, um, what does it mean? Reputation. We're, we're going to see some of this in the in the next section. Um, but the, the first thing that um, we see in this um part we go straight into chapter nine and jesus just um or mark shows us that he's going to embed this principle for us because i guess as soon as we hear about jesus offer a bit of us wants to know yes but it all rests on the then is Mm. the then secure Mm. um and that's why the next section is all about well um god gives a little glimpse of the then in the now and um, not everyone gets this glimpse, but those who get the glimpse are never the same again. In fact, Peter, um, he talks about this moment in his 
letter um, the transfiguration clearly kind of was a very significant moment in how he viewed the world forever after I actually um, I helped in, well helped in I don't know if I helped but I joined Sunday school a couple of weeks ago and I had with two of your daughters we reenacted re- this this okay. scene which is fantastic actually just uh, you know we made a cut out mountain and a cut out cloud and sort of walked through what happened but it's in, the transfiguration of Jesus it sounds like we're on a new topic right so we just talked about Jesus saying come and follow me now we're talking about Jesus on a mountain with Peter James and John being transfigured becoming super bright white you can imagine a, um, I can imagine it what it would look like in a film but if you think of it in real life without special effects it's pretty frightening so and the fact they are absolutely terrified so they see suddenly Jesus in blazing white and God speaks from the cloud and says this is my son listen to him and two people who've been I was gonna say dead a long time but technically speaking Elijah didn't die he was taken up to heaven but certainly two people from a very very long time ago Moses and Elijah show up and you know what is happening so Jesus just been teaching you you go up a mountain trip with him and then suddenly it's like whoa the curtains pull back and here's Jesus as he looks in in his heavenly glory and here is people from long long ago in the old testament and here's God speaking from the cloud and what is what is going on and particularly why is it happening here and what has it got to do with what Jesus just said yeah and one of the answers is that the two incidents are tied very closely. So um, we've just heard about the Son of Man coming in his glory. And then it says, tr- Jesus says, truly, I say to you, some standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So the Son of Man is this kingly figure. They're going to see now the kingdom after it's come with power. And that sets up this moment. So so we, we, the link is already there from the beginning. And then, like Andrew said, there's lots of heavenly sort of imagery so um two people who we would anticipate would ordinarily be in heaven moses and elijah um their clothes are like no one on earth could bleach them i.e heavenly this is not just a washing advert is it like (laughs) bold automatic bleaches your clothes whiter than white but this is like literally whiter than white as in there is not an earthly shade of white that you can get in your dulux paint selection that is this white it's like a literally an otherworldly shade of white and and it's majestic. It's um, when Peter talks about it in two Peter, he calls it. I think he says the majestic glory. It, it shows the kingly, heavenly glory of Jesus. And so basically, the the transfiguration is a preview of the second coming. And as you say, I think two Peter makes that even clearer because in two Peter, the issue is people are denying that Jesus will return. Where is this coming that he promised? They scoff and say. And Peter's answer to people scoffing about the second coming is, no, no, we saw the transfiguration. No, it's definitely happening because we already see, we already saw the preview. I love that God does that in general. He puts into history things he wants you to trust for the future. So you'll never just like take my word for it. You're like, look at the precedent for it. And Jesus coming back is, you know, we haven't experienced that yet. Well, except we did get the preview of it. Yeah. And it's made clear that Jesus is going to be the key player on that day, not Moses and Elijah, because a voice comes out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, a little bit like at Jesus' baptism. But then we get this extra phrase, listen to him. So God's saying, he the man, you, you know, it's all about Jesus. It's going to be the son of man in his glory, not Moses or Elijah. But here's the, here's the key extra bit. You really need to tune in to what he's saying right now. And what he's saying right now is is what we've just heard at the end of chapter 8. This is what Peter failed to grasp. 
and we need to tune into. Name, namely, namely, he's going to suffer, and if you want to follow him, you got to suffer. And then we get them coming down the mountain, and Jesus says, "Keep stream about this until the resurrection of the Son of Man." So again, he's he's tying together this glory, this second coming, with his death and resurrection. And they're, they're confused and they don't know what this means um, and it's not very clear to them yet. And then they say, um, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? It's not obvious why this comes at this moment, but this is obviously a debate amongst the Pharisees. Oh, we know he can't be the Messiah because, you know, we know from the book of Malachi that before the Messiah comes, Elijah has to come back. Elijah, Malachi chapter three and Malachi chapter four. But actually, as readers of the gospel, we've known from the very first chapter that Elijah has come back because Jesus has quoted those verses from Malachi. Um, well, sorry, Mark, the author, has quoted those words of Malachi in respect of John the Baptist. And then his dress code. So the detail we're given when John appears on the scene is he dresses um, with camel hair and eating locusts, i.e., in case you miss it, this guy is Elijah. Because that was the famous Elijah costume. And then I I like it that like they're, they're inspired to ask this technical question about Elijah because they literally just saw the real Elijah on the mountain. Uh, OK, yeah, that's what nudges. That's the yeah. nudge. And yeah. um, but they everyone knows it's Elijah because he's got his, you know, characteristic dress code. What was Moses wearing? <laughs> is that Jeremiah? Oh, no, no. Look, it's Moses because like, what is it? <laughs> that's it stone is, tablets or maybe he was parting water on the mountain or yeah. something he had a moustache that everyone knew was a Moses moustache <laughs> name badges um, anyway they, they know it's Elijah and so they start asking this technical question um, and Jesus spells out no don't worry Elijah has come and he says not not in as in the Elijah up on the mountain um, he was just bright white but John the Baptist was the, the Elijah figure and um, Jesus spells out um, something about John that will actually build the case. Just on this, it's a bit weird if you say, no, no, Elijah hasn't come, John the Baptist has come. And Jesus considers that the same thing. And it's partly, this is, we've talked about this before, but this is typology, it's the technical word for it, just where God has set up history so that the past foreshadows the future. And Elijah, back in the days of one and two kings, was a preview of John the Baptist, or he, his whole life was the same shape as John the Baptist in a, in a remarkable way. So just to you know, recall, Elijah was a prophet of repentance at a time of an evil king called Ahab. He was in a compromised relationship with his wife Jezebel. He wanted to kill him. Wow, John the Baptist was a prophet of repentance. He was opposed by an evil king, Herod. He was in a compromised relationship with his wife Herodias. He wanted to kill him so they, they basically they have the same life and and that's just how God sets up history sometimes so that we understand what comes later and and arguably if you were one of the disciples John's martyrdom would have been not just a personal blow you know this is we've lost this guy but it would have been a huge discouragement for the cause of God because if if this is the outcome of a, a faithful life, who wants a faithful life? Because he's beheaded and his head is served up on a platter at a dinner party of the king. And so Jesus is saying, look, don't, don't worry about John. Um, he, he, this has always been the pattern for God's people. Think of Elijah. He went through terrible suffering, persecuted for his faith. Mm. He ended up whisked off to heaven in a chariot. Um, don't worry about John the Baptist. 
um, this is written of him that this is the pattern for his life. It's going to be down, then up. And then he ties, it's like three characters all tied together. There's the old Elijah and then the new Elijah, John the Baptist, and then there's Jesus because he throws himself into the same um, the same comparison. How is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So basically Elijah was rejected by um, Ahab. John the Baptist was re- rejected by Herod. Jesus is rejected by uh, the chief priests and by Israel. And all of their fates are kind of similar. Actually, the way in which John the Baptist was laid in a tomb back in chapter 6 is exactly the same language as when Jesus will later be laid in a tomb in chapter 15. So you've got the same story three times and it ends the same way all three times. So Elijah persecuted by Herod, sorry, Elijah persecuted by Ahab, but there on the Transfiguration Mountain in glory. And um, so, so the suffering now, glory later thing, that, that is the way to follow Jesus, if anyone would come after me. And then everything after it is backing up that claim. Look at the transfiguration. Future glory is real. Look at the, the lives of the saints. Look at Elijah. Look at John the Baptist. Look at the, what's written of the Son of Man. This is not new. This has always been the case. Suffering now, glory later. Don't, don't be thrown by this. This is good, honest, ordinary, biblical logic. Then finally, for this week, we've got this strange episode where it's an exorcism, but it's an unsuccessful one. Um, The disciples are unable to help this man whose son is under the grip of evil spirits. And Jesus intervenes and sorts it out and then says at the end, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. It's kind of strange on on a few levels. I didn't know there were different kinds of exorcisms and some of them are harder. Um, that's an, is that what it's there to tell us? And and why is it here? Why does it happen at this point? Is this unrelated to what's gone before? Um, as you look closely, there's just a few things to say. I mean, for, on on the one hand, it's it's another example of seeing the horrifying, destructive power of evil. Um, this boy, I mean, the, the father explains that the, the spirit seizes him and throws him down and foams and grinds his teeth. And Jesus, how long has this been happening? Well, since he was a, a child. It's, it's a bit o- like the demoniac, isn't it? He used to make the man cut himself. Yes. It's like this is, and eventually when the, the demons are put in the pigs, they go and jump off the cliff. This is how evil is not funny. It's very, mm. very destructive and will destroy individuals. It's often thrown him into fire and into water to destroy him. I mean, can you imagine you have a toddler and you can't go to the beach because... The toddler will, the demon will try and hurl him into the sea, and you can't light a fire in the winter because the demon will try and hurl him into the into the fireplace. It's a, a horrific thing, and once again, Jesus has power over evil and power to restore and liberate human beings. So, on, on the one level, it's another glorious example of the transforming power of Jesus over evil. <laughs> but there's some more. <coughs> excuse me. There's some more details here that help us to connect this into the bigger picture of this chapter. Yeah, so one of the strange things is that after Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, you then get some sort of weird fireworks. So then the boy cries out, convulses, and becomes like a corpse. I mean, this is an interesting description, um, like a dead body. So that most of them said, he's dead. Yeah, in case we missed it, look, here is an image of like absolute... Um, impotence. We can't do anything more. He's dead. But Jesus took the boy by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And it's, I mean, this 
it's such a glorious moment that Jesus can take the worst situation, even sort of someone who's who's become like a corpse, and bring new life and resurrection. And in the context of what we're talking about, that is really um, very reassuring and precious. Because the context is, come and die, because I'll raise you up. And we've had, as you say, we've had it with the transfiguration, a picture of the future. We've had it with Elijah, with John the Baptist, with Jesus, and now this boy. So if you side with Jesus, even though you're going to face evil and opposition, this is the future. Jesus takes you by the hand. And Jesus' Jesus's offer is mad. It is mad, unless he's got this sort of authority. Like, if he if he couldn't show... I can deal with death. I would really discourage anyone from laying down their life for him. Yes. Um, but if he can, then it's perfectly sensible. In fact, it's the most obvious thing to do. Mm. Um, so it's very, it's a wonderful moment to see Jesus' great authority here. The other little element in this episode is the the issue of faith and ability. So um, we're told early on that the, the father says, I brought him to their disciples but they were not able to help. Um, and Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And at the end of the episode, he says, this kind is not possible, literally, it is not able to be done except by prayer. So there's this whole question about ability. And you might think, we were talking about this just before we start press record, but you might think it's Jesus says, look, you can't do it, I can, which is, you know, which is true. And it's why did they, why did they invite Jesus to help so late in the whole shenanigans but he doesn't say you can't do it I can he says you can do it if you trust me so I suppose it's the same thing I mean Jesus is the one with the power to raise the dead but if you by faith connect yourself to him that power becomes at work in you I guess that's the point and this is going to be something we're going to see again in chapter 10 this question of how is it that anyone can do the kind of discipleship that Jesus calls for us. And we're going to see this same phrase coming up again. It's impossible with man, but possible with God. And uh, this is a trailer just to say one of the the big themes in this section is going to be how Jesus, well, how God can equip us to do what would otherwise be very difficult, i.e. taking up our cross and following Jesus. And he says it can only be done by prayer, which I guess is the very expression of trust. Lord, please help me. And I've actually, there's one prayer actually even in the in the passage, which is the prayer of the Father, um, where he says, um, "All things are possible for one who believes." Says Jesus. And the Father of the cried, the Father of the child, cried out and said, "I believe. Help my unbelief." And I think every Christian reading this wants to pray that prayer, don't they? Do you believe that you must take up your cross and follow Jesus? Do you believe that if you lose your life? For him and the gospel, you will say that, yeah, I do believe that. But Lord, please help me in all the ways that I believe that too little. Help my unbelief. And thanks for joining us on Grace Point. It's a long one today, but it's a pretty significant chapter. Um, And we hope it's a benefit to you. If you enjoyed it and want to share it with others, do let them know the link. And we'll be back um, next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.